Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I am Jake Bennett. And this is episode nine of the North Meet South web podcast. Well, Michael, it has been a little while since we've talked. Uh, I think we've both been really busy. Last time we were supposed to record, I'm going to call you out here, man. You didn't wake up. Dude, what happened? I totally forgot about it. We normally record on a Friday night for me and we changed it um, last time to be a Friday morning for me. And I completely spaced out because we went out on the Thursday night and I forgot to set my alarm and then I slept through it and I just had all of these messages from you saying, dude, where are you? And dude, I'm sorry. now you know. Yeah, man. Now you know how I feel having to wake up Friday morning at the butt crack of dawn to record these stupid things. Your brain isn't even working yet. Uh-huh. Oh, Mine man. wasn't even working the day before. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. No worries, man. It was totally fine. No, totally fine. Um, yeah, so I'm actually late to our recording this morning as well because I looked at my alarm and I was like, oh, I've got 10 minutes I can sleep. Yep, slept right through it. So anyway, <laughs> paybacks, paybacks. Well, do we want to start off with our most controversial topics or we kind of want to ease into it a little bit? Let's start with an easy one and then we'll, uh, then we'll go controversial. Okay, that sounds good. Well, let's talk about what we've been working on then lately um, and then we can, we can get to some of that controversial stuff a little bit later. Sure. Uh, I can start here. So this last week and the last couple of weeks, um, I have taken on the task of moving a lot of our projects to Forge and Envoyer. So um, if you listen to this podcast, you're most likely aware of what those are, but I'll describe them real quickly in case you're not. So Forge is a service built by Taylor um, to provision servers and to manage servers as well. And so... We actually need our servers to be internal. So we can't really use AWS or Rackspace or DigitalOcean to host some of the stuff because we have to have it behind our firewall. It has to be internal. Um, and, and most of the things that we're developing are actually internal applications anyway. So what we did is we actually just built a virtual machine uh, just a Linux box inside the building here and then opened up a firewall uh, port to allow Forge to talk with it. And then we essentially set it up on Forge and we can just provision servers right off of right off of there into our internal server, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, it's really cool. I mean, I guess when you think about it, it's really no different than what you'd be doing if you're talking to another server anyway. But it was just kind of it's just kind of amazing that we were able to use Forge to manage a server inside our building. Um, so, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, we've had that set up for a little bit and then uh, just started moving projects over. So, um, started taking some of our repositories and setting up new sites for them on Forge and then throwing mm-hmm. them onto Envoyer and getting them deployed through there, which has been awesome. It's been really amazing. Um, previously, we were running everything on IIS which insert a big sigh. Yeah, there. Right, exactly. (laughs) And so you can imagine the frustration and sort of the sort of things we'd have to go with to deploy something. Um, So it was never really easy. We would have to push to master and then 
um, I would have to log into the the server, the IIS server, and then I'd have to go actually pull it, pull the code down myself, change ENVs on the server, you know, basically live. It, it was like so it was like a step better than live FTPing into a site to change it. So we'd almost have to like schedule yeah. these change windows where it's like, okay, nobody get on the server, don't work on anything because we're gonna make some changes here, which made it really frustrating to. Because you could write code all day, but if you needed to deploy like a, a really important change, a lot of times you'd have to literally go down to the department that's using that, that particular web app and be like, okay, everybody get off your computer for 10 minutes. I'm, I'm going to make a change here. It's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. You know, it's like back in the Stone Ages here. So yeah. um, with zero downtime deployment, it's been really nice to be able to just push to master. You don't even have to press a deploy button and it just goes, runs all the migrations and pretty awesome. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it is, is handy having that kind of uh, freedom, I guess, to be able to just deploy whenever you want throughout the day. We've got a few, well, most of the projects that we work on are like that. Um, some of our Drupal sort of backends, legacy stuff that was around before I started is a bit more finicky and we kind of have to schedule it in because sometimes we'll have issues with the way those deployments roll out and Features will somehow turn themselves off between deployments, oh which then has this big waterfall effect that, you know, sort of cascades into, um, you know, API is not responding properly and mobile apps breaking temporarily. So, it's nice that we're sort of moving forward with that as a whole. Um, I mean, I know Forge and Envoy are obviously Laravel products, but they work with so much more. You know, you can deploy a WordPress site or a static site or, or whatever else. And I think now that Taylor has hired on Muhammad Saeed to work with him, it'll free him up, I think, because he said he was going to spend the next uh, few months working exclusively on, on Forge. So we might see a bit more parity between those Forge servers and some of the functionality that, that we got with Valet with the different drivers. So we might see more support for, you know, more different, I guess, uh, website. What do, what do we call them? I don't know. Almost like, I mean, not like drivers. Frameworks yeah, frameworks. Yeah, there you go. So maybe it would cater itself to more than just Laravel. Yeah. Yeah, so the, there'll be more support for that maybe. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Just kind of expanding his footprint on like who it exactly appeals to, right? Like right now, I'm sure he's got plenty of customers, but probably the ver- vast majority of them are Laravel customers. Yeah, so. Yeah. You might be right there. Um, so the process that I've had to use with migrating to Forge and Envoyer has been one of trying to figure out which pieces are coupled to kind of having to stay on the IIS server. One of those big pieces was interactions with the file system. Mm-hmm. So if I needed to write to the file system here in the building, I basically had to figure out a way to stop doing that. <laughs> I could write locally to my application and that's fine, but if I needed to write outside of like my application folder anywhere else on like some sort of shared network storage or something like that, um, I wasn't going to be able to do that once I moved it to Forge and Envoyer because mm-hmm. there's you know I can't write across servers. So that's that's been one of the challenges. So the way that we've solved that is basically using um, like a, an S3 ish sort of service as like our in between. So if there's something that needs to go on a local server, we have the application that we're building on Forge and Envoyer. It pushes up to S3 or whatever. 
And then it'll make a API call to a microservice that we have inside the building called tasks. And we basically just put on there whatever we need to happen inside the local system here. And then so we say, you know, hey, there's a file up there waiting for you. Go download it and it will download it locally, put it where it needs to go and then return a 200 back to our application that's calling it. So it basically just handles that sort of file movement stuff and all those things that we have to do locally that that we can't since we're pushing it off of that that main IIS server. So that's been interesting. That's kind of been a, a slog trying to work through all of that. But I've also become much more familiar with uh, Laravel's storage facade because of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, we actually have to use the SFTP driver with storage, right? Which doesn't come which doesn't come with it. Um, the reason I say it's S3-ish is because it's an SS- SFTP service built on top of S3 um, okay. that we're using. It's called Brick, Brick mm-hmm. FTP, actually, which is really a really great service. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed is that there is a bug in the SFTP driver. So you can't delete directories. You can delete files, but you can't delete directories. So. Oh. Yeah, yeah. To work around that, I've actually had to make an API call to the Brick API to delete a directory. It's a pretty big pain. Oh but yeah, that's kind of been a hurdle, something I've been working through this last week. But um, It won't delete the directory yeah. or it won't let you delete the directory because there's something in it? Um, either. Neither. Hmm. It, won't, it won't do that. And I'm trying to remember the exact reason why. Ugh. Yeah, it I, sounds I, nasty. Yeah, there's it's it's documented. It's actually on the SFTP driver, the fly system SFTP driver repo. There's an issue on it saying that it doesn't okay. work correctly. And it doesn't, but whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of what I've been working on and 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 then secondarily making sure that all of our services can authenticate through this little microservice authenticator thing that I had to build. So as much as we talked about microservices a couple of weeks ago and how majestic monoliths are the stuff, and they are, I still love them. Yeah. I've had the absolute necessity to create some of these microservices, which is, is fine. It's, it's been good getting a little bit of experience with them. For sure. But, uh, yeah, it can, it can be a pain. So what have you been working on? What have you been up to? Um, for, a, for a little while, probably since, I guess, March, we've been looking for some time to build out this this workflow sort of pipeline um, functionality in our console product, which is essentially like think Amazon cons- uh, Amazon Web Services console where it just like ties all the pieces together. So we're building a similar thing for our different products. And as part of that, we needed the ability to essentially give it a URL for a public media file of some description and tell it, go and download that and get some, you know, scrape metadata from it, figure out the the dimensions of the video and the audio streams that are in it, go and transcode it into three or four different profiles. So do a 1080, a 720 or whatever else uh, to to do multi-bit rate streaming. And then once you're all done, basically market is done. So a lot of that was figuring out, first of all, how to do it. And that was where I fell into the world of state machines, which basically is a way of tracking. I'm going to, I'm, I'm really going to mess this up, but in simplistic terms, it basically lets me have a pipeline of work and I can track each stage that it's at and know what the next state should be in order to proceed. So we've basically got, I guess, like a, like middlewares where you could, you know, fire one bit and then the next bit and the next bit. So we've 
I've built that on top of Laravel's event system and essentially just extended queuable jobs. So we will fire an event that a new workflow has started. A workflow has allocated a number of steps. So the first step might be to go and fetch this file from a remote service. So it will go and do that. And then it will fire an event saying it's done. The subscriber will then go and find the next event, fire that, get the you know the, the task finished event, find the next one and so on and so forth until it gets to the end. So there was a lot of work in there around what, what the steps are, passing the output from one step as input to the next step and things like that. Um, so we ended up using parameter bags for that, which was, I think, probably the easiest way of doing it in, in a way that we could pass basically parameters, name parameters around and, and take things out of that without messing around with associative arrays, I guess. And that, that worked out pretty well. Uh, we demoed that to the client that, that we built that functionality out for on Friday. And they were pretty happy that they could stop sending me emails to basically do all of this manually, which was, which was a big win. That's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that? Can you talk a little bit about that parameter bag? I'm not familiar with that. Is that something that's a Laravel or Symfony thing, or what? Yeah, is that? It's, a, it's a Symfony thing, and I guess it's more or less just a an object wrapper around associative arrays. So you've got methods on that, like get, set, replace, add, and I'm pretty sure a parameter bag is is the base class for things like message bag for your validation errors and things like that. Um, and it's used in a couple of other places that escape me at the moment. But yeah, it ended up being an easy way for me to be able to pass, say, when we when we fetch a file from the remote server, what we will do is we, we would give it a new name and then we would pass that new name to a, a workflow step called move file. And then you would say, this is the input, this is the output. And that would then give us the ability to reuse that that same step and just pass it, you know, just override those input and output file names as you step through. Um, so that was the flexibility that it gave us. And it also meant we didn't have to worry about, uh, I, I distinctly remember running into some weird issue when I was using something. <laughs> and it's not very helpful to anyone else. But, but basically what <laughs> happened was Laravel couldn't serialize the objects properly which we've talked about before with Eloquent and things like that. So it couldn't serialize whatever this other object was when it was then throwing that onto the queue for the next step, um, which is why parameter bags worked pretty conveniently in the end. Huh. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like so you've got like a, a kind of collection of these actions that you can perform, whether it's transcode to this or move file to here or download mm-hmm. file from this directory. And then you kind of can just glue them together into little workflows. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So how would you handle something like a failure in the middle of one of those steps? Let's say that for some reason in your, you've already downloaded it from the server, you've transcoded it into two different formats, and now you need to move the file from somewhere local to somewhere remote, and it fails during that step. Mm-hmm. What? How does your system handle that? So we we basically just took the the approach that we would fail out of any workflow that has any failed step. So there isn't any real recovery to it. Um, but essentially, we have one parent task, and the task is responsible to basically 
do like a, a begin task, an execute task, and a finish task. And within there, within each distinct task's handle method, it handles its own errors internally. And if anything happens, it will just throw an exception. And then the, the main parent sort of task will catch that exception. It will throw a workflow task failed exception, uh, not an exception, an event event failed, event task failed or something like that, which then bubbles up to the event subscriber. It catches that the event was failed. And then it, what it does is basically just loop through any remaining step and mark them as failed. Uh, no, aborted, and then it'll fail the the overarching workflow execution, and then just report back. Yeah. Okay. And is the last step to like report back, send back a two hundred or a five hundred or whatever? Yeah. So the transcode is a is a long running process. So we actually kick that off to a separate service that handles just the transcoding, and we give that a callback URL, which is something within um, the console, and then. Essentially, the transcoder will do its thing. It will transcode all the files. It then sends back a JSON payload that's got all of the different variants that were transcoded. That hits an endpoint, which just catches that and then um, marks it as you know, marks that step as done and continues on its way. So we 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 built some functionality in there to basically you know you can override the complete step and in in that particular process when the workflow sends a transcode request, we override the complete method to basically be a no-op. And then we just wait. We've set up a webhook for that transcode callback, which will then fire, you know, the, that, that step had completed. So it's been working pretty well so far. I just, I worry that I haven't, you know, as, as always that you haven't accounted for some situation and, and we'll get to a point later on where we need to do something that, you know, that, that is outside of what we've built the system for. But I think it's so far, it looks like it's been built in a way that it's reasonably easy to sort of mangle things around a bit. So we'll see. I'm sure if we have issues, we'll talk about it again in future. I'm sure. Has it been a challenge at all testing it or has, has making, has using events to trigger a lot of these things made it easier or more difficult because you could probably just check to see that you're firing an event. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just test to say, see that you get, you catch an event, trigger this new action and then trigger a new event after it's done. That's basically what it comes down to. A lot of it is just mocking out because you don't want your test obviously to fetch a file and then, you know, move the file and then you have to wait for a transcode to come back. So a lot of it and and I'll be honest, I haven't written the tests. A lot, a lot of it was write the steps, run the, you know, run the workflows manually, look for all the edge cases as best you can. But yeah, as, as I said, I think a lot of it is going to just come down to given a workflow of these three steps, set their expectations that this method was fired, that this event was sent and, you know, that we get to the end of it and at the end of it that the the workflow task or the workflow itself is marked as finished and all of the steps are marked as finished. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. At the moment, I'm flying by the edge of my seat, hoping for the <laughs> best. But, yeah, we'll, we'll have to get some tests in there sooner rather than later once we get yeah, some time. A- I'm, a- I'm actually wearing a shirt at the moment that says too busy to to write tests so oh my god that's that's basically what it came down to is that we had three or four projects on the go and they all needed to sort of finish at the same time so grumpy programmer is gonna kill you yeah he's gonna like put your head on a stick where look we're not we're not popular enough for mr uh, yeah, to listen to this this podcast it's so i'll true. get away with it for a little while 
Yeah, let him know. Let him know that we gave him a shout out, and uh, we'll see if he has anything to say about it. <laughs> oh, he'll be so mad. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna run out of time if we don't start talking about your little blog post pretty quickly <laughs> here. But I, I want to take a look through our list of things we wanted to talk about and see if there's anything we wanted to mention real quick. There's some some packages and just a couple of quick things I wanted to talk about. One of them being Laravel backup. So Spatty web design agency in Belgium. They've got all these packages, whatever, whatever, right? Laravel Backup is one that I just started using this last week and it has exceeded all of my expectations. And so I'm going to be using it all the time from now on. And one of the things that I had to deal with when I was setting up the backups is that there were certain applications that being that they're internal applications here, they don't get used from like 10 o'clock to like five in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really need them to be backing up during that period. And so I was looking through the the scheduler documentation and noticed that in order to exclude a certain time, you had to use the when method on the scheduler. And if you haven't used scheduler before, essentially what it is, is if you set up different console tasks in Laravel, you can, in your console kernel, you can schedule them to run at particular times, which is really handy. So you just say schedule command, pass in your artisan command name or string, and then say at time, like noon on Mondays or during weekdays or whatever. But you couldn't say only between eight o'clock to nine o'clock PM. Mm-hmm. You had to use a closure to do that where you just pass a when method and then you you write your test in there to determine whether or not it should run so if you return true it runs if you return false it doesn't yeah so there wasn't a between or an unless between method on scheduler so i was able to make a pull request for that this last week it was pretty cool taylor pulled it in had a little bit of help from uh michael and david hemphill just refactoring some of the code i wrote it was kind of a little bit nasty <laughs> i was doing some some string replaces on colons to help figure out what time it was, which was not ideal. So yeah, pulled that in, put some documentation pull requests up, got those pulled in, which was, it was cool. So I think this is my very first, I've had other pull requests pulled into Laravel, but this is my first one that I actually can say like, I did this feature and here's the documentation on it. It's a small feature to be sure. I think it's probably less than 20 lines of code. Um, maybe maybe more including the tests, yeah. but that was kind of cool. So, uh, and then the other thing that, I wanted to give a shout out to was David Hemphill has a new blog post out talking about presenters in Laravel and he has a package for it called hemp presenter, which is pretty cool. You should definitely check that out when you get a chance. Uh, I won't expound too much upon it. He does a really great job explaining what presenters are, talks about the decorator pattern as well in his blog post. And we'll link that up in the show notes. So way to go, David. Nice job. I know you've been working on that for a while. So Thanks for listening to to the community, and uh, I'll be using it soon, I'm sure. So Definitely. All right. Now for the moment you've all been waiting for. So at Laracon EU, Sean McCool, a couple other guys, have been working on something that they're calling Laravel certification. And this is a test, I'm assuming, and a what's a learning platform, I guess you even call it, Mm -hmm. for getting certified as a Laravel developer. Yeah, study guide. There you go. Thank you. I know Symfony and maybe even Zen to have something similar like that, like Symfony certification, Zen to certification. And so they're kind of building something out similar for Laravel. And 
Michael, you had some thoughts on that, wrote them down in the blog post. It got quite a bit of traction. It seemed like there was uh, quite a few people who agreed with you mm. on a lot of the things that you'd stated in there. So do you want to talk about that just for a couple of minutes and tell us some of your thoughts? Yeah, I will. Just like I did in the blog post, I will prefix this all with the there is a landing page and there is no information about this. Taylor doesn't have any more information about this. So everything that I wrote in that post and everything that I'm about to say is based purely on assumptions of what it feels like this program is going to be based on, it was like a 90 second video that they played at Laracon EU and we'll link it up in the show notes. And, and I know that a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion over the last, you know, three or four years about people asking about certification and, and having some kind of test for Laravel. And obviously it doesn't exist yet. And it was kind of surprising to see that it came out sort of right at the end of Laracon EU unannounced. And the fact that, you know, it had been in progress for the last couple of years. So I thought initially it was pretty good where I work at Hostworks. We've got a, uh, you know, a training budget. So I thought, you know, we use Laravel every day. My boss was on board with it. You know, we'd get it paid for and, you know, we would just get it done. And it sort of went very quiet. I thought it was very strange. You know, they, they put the tweet out from Laracon EU and, and, and that was it essentially. There was, there was no, no fanfare. And we all know that, that Taylor's got a pretty good flair for the dramatic when it comes to, you know, marketing products and, and Sparkwatch well was a good indication well said, yeah. of that. So yeah, I thought it was just a bit weird that it was so quiet. And so I started thinking a bit about it. And I think a lot of the Laravel community is based firmly in, it's openness. Everyone's sort of willing to help everyone else out. There's not really any divide. You know, everyone, there's people, you know, like um, Adam and Matt and, and Jeffrey that are sort of at the upper echelon and they, they really understand the framework and, they, and they're fantastic teachers. And there's new people coming into the framework every day. So, you know, that's basically the only divide we have, but people will always, you know, pull each other up and, and help each other out. The community has always been very welcoming. So, you know, it started to get to a point where I was thinking it's going to be a bit strange if you're going to start looking at people that are paying for certification. Some people can afford it. Others can't. Some people are, you know, earning $600 a month and others are earning that in a week or whatever. So you get, you get the whole financial disparity around it. And a lot of, a lot of the video that, that was presented was around, was it Keith? Uh, not Keith, uh, Chris Keithlin from Vehicle. For those of you who don't know, they're based out of Canada. They're probably one of the, the top Laravel shops out there along with the likes of Titan and, and Spady and, and uh, probably others that I don't know of. There's, there's probably a couple of others, but th- those are the three that, that spring to mind. And he's saying, you know, every time they're hiring, they're getting a lot of, a lot of resumes and it's hard to sort of find the, the, the top quality candidates. And from a business perspective, I guess that's great it means that you can look at look at a resume and go okay this one's got certification and and this one doesn't and so then it then it comes down to how much weight is going to be put on these these certifications and ultimately what what does it mean to be laravel certified now the distinction is um can you can you use the framework or do you theoretically know how to use the framework is someone who's been working with Laravel for five years and, and building actual apps going to be less likely to get a look in for a job than someone who's just come in and they've they've got the money and they've paid for the certification and they've landed their first job. Now, I'm not saying obviously that 
that premiere kind of places like Vehicle and Titan and and Spadey would look and they and they would make that snap judgment. They're they're obviously going to look further into it, but there are other shops out there, and and the world is a big place where some people will, will especially if they're going to go through recruiters and things like that. Is this candidate got Laravel certification? Here's you know the five that did, and you know all the other ones just get tossed out. So well, yeah, if you. If you are using that as the one of the large purposes behind certification, right? If half of the reason for certification is we're having a really hard time finding developers, you can't really say that we're not going to give them preferential treatment because then you're completely defeating the purpose of starting the program, right? So you can mm-hmm. say, oh, well, yeah, the people with certification will, you know, that's fine. We're not going to give them preference over people who don't. We're just going to, you know, put that as a tally on their score. Well, then you're not really saving yourself any time, right? I mean, you still have to go through every single one of the applications to try and figure out. Yeah. So I think by the very nature of it, if you have somebody who has certification, they will get pushed to the top. It just, why would you, why would you have it otherwise? Yeah, Doesn't, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. Yeah. And it, I mean, it raises more questions than it asks. And maybe, maybe I just spent too much time thinking about it. As I said, there is, there is no information. The, the landing page basically has a, a sign up form and maybe it's just being used to gauge interest. But it's been noted that Sean and, and the others had spent around two years working on it and what they've learned is is still a mystery obviously because there's there's no information but yeah there's i mean there's still there's still issues where it comes down to jeffrey and sean publicly will butt heads from time to time and it's and it's the whole yeah i I won't get into it too much because i don't know sean but um yeah it's just a bit i don't know i think i think from the perspective of a business i think if they were to rather than target that as a certification for developers i think if they were to sell some kind of screening tool to businesses where you could say look this is what we think a good candidate for laravel should know yeah, um, that's a good and then point. you could you could do the whole whiteboard thing with them you could say we'd like to have you for an interview can you answer these two or three questions and bring bring the answers into the interview or or send them to us ahead of time using it as a screening tool that way even if you sat two or three candidates down at, at the end of the interview process and said here's the test that's you know 10 or 15 questions and and even that you get people that just don't perform well under under those kind of conditions so yeah i don't know as someone who who didn't actually finish a, a university degree i I don't really see much value in it. I think IT is probably one of those fields where a lot of people can get away with not not having a degree and still getting some pretty great jobs and and being really good developers. So yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a t- it's a difficult situation because you know being developers, we want to quantify everything, right? Everything's got a number on it, you know. And so just to have this kind of big nebulous sort of perspective on we can never really know if a developer is a good developer or whatever it's like there's got to be an easier way to do this right yeah and i think that's probably what this is born out of it's just the frustration with like okay how do we how do we make this happen that we can actually pre-screen somebody is essentially what you're talking about right because if you've ever applied to any sort of development shop of any sort they're going to have a code screen sort of test You, you got to i mean you can't know anything about the development skills unless you have something like that right yeah so you're either doing it beforehand through laravel certification 
or you're doing it during your interview process or more than likely probably both. I think you may be right and I think that's interesting an interesting idea that there's probably a a market for a screening tool that you could subscribe to that would essentially give you good questions that would test the level of knowledge that somebody has and give you a grade it would grade it for you kind of thing or have have one of the people at your service look at it and grade it you know because i'm sure that takes a lot of time too um for people who are hiring having to put together like a little code test and then go through everybody's responses so yeah i mean if you can make that easier i think that's that's really kind of what this this is hoping to accomplish as well just kind of be able to grade the skill and competence of a developer without having to spend a ton of time on it yeah so and i think i mean overall laravel is in a position now where it doesn't have any certification at all and i think if it's going to do something different don't don't do the zend or the symphony certification because i don't think i've ever met anyone that's done either or a lie i know someone who's done the i think it was the zen certification and they basically got like the when they, when it was still in development maybe it was the symphony one they were still developing it and they and they gave the test to a whole bunch of people and they used that to figure out what the average was so that would say you know this is the pass mark and so he was in the average and, and then he became certified so I think Laravel is in a, in a reasonably unique position where they can actually do something completely different. And I think if they're going to do anything, then, then the screening tool, at, at least the way that, that both Freik and, uh, and Chris came across in that video, I think if it's going to be targeted from a business perspective, I think there could be a lot of value in that. Yeah. Well, like I said before, I think your blog post does a good job of describing all of these thoughts. And so if you guys have any more questions or whatever, feel free to take a look at that. It's well written, well thought out. A lot of stuff I hadn't thought about. So thanks for putting that out there, Michael. No worries. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. If you guys liked the episode, feel free to rate us in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. You can find us on Twitter at North South Audio. You can find the show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash nine. Michael, it was awesome talking to you, man. Same to you. All right, until next time. See you, mate. Welcome back. This is Jake Bennett. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, I'm going to cut that in. That's just going to... You probably will. You would. (laughs) You would definitely do that.